We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. I wanted to jump in quickly and let you know about the release of the audio version of my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, narrated by David A. Knesser. If you want to support the show, you can buy it wherever audiobooks are sold. Links are also in the show notes. Also, thanks to everyone who gave me a rating and review. I really appreciate it. Now, on to my guest for today, Phil Michaels, CEO of Tembo and a business and life coach. Forbes has listed him as one of the top 30 social entrepreneurs under 30. Before he'd ever heard the word, Phil was an entrepreneur. He began his career selling lemonade on the soccer fields out of his sister's puppet playhouse. He moved on to selling Pokemon cards, taking football bets in high school, and promoting nightclubs as a college student. He loved the hustle, yet he never considered being his own boss. He pursued a pre-med program, intending to become an ophthalmologist. Then he read... Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and his life changed completely. Phil went on to co-found a company that built one of the first fitness apps, going on Shark Tank to promote his idea. He's now CEO of Tembo Educational Group, a company that helps parents 
all over the world educate their kids using text messaging. Most recently, he started a coaching business for high achievers and CEOs. In this podcast, Phil shares thoughts on the importance of fostering creativity in kids and how to tap into their motivation, the keys to building good daily habits for success, and the important questions everyone needs to ask themselves. Now, let's get better together. Phil Michaels, welcome to the podcast. Jari, thanks for having me. Really excited to be here. It's an honor to be on your show. Thanks. Yeah, not a problem, man. Not a problem. You're you're actually out of Tampa, which I've actually been to. Uh, we were talking a little bit before uh, we started to hit record that uh, there's a lot of folks moving to Tampa. Um, <laughs> I think we said Tampa, Miami, Nashville, and Austin, and they're all coming from California and New York, <laughs> which where I am. People um, are sick of being locked down. They want to be <laughs> freedom. <laughs> freedom, yeah, free to be you and me, right? Um, yes. But we'll, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that a little later because I am actually fascinated with Tampa. I had a friend that lived there. But before we talk about that, like I always like to say, why don't you uh, let us know how you got to do what you're doing today? Sure. It was the stereotypical lemonade stand that started everything. You know, as a young lad, the soccer moms were out there in the park, a bunch of soccer fields. So I stole my sister's puppet show playhouse that had the curtains, a chalkboard on it, and would set it up out back in the soccer at the soccer fields and had my own lemonade stand. And of course, that just enthralled this idea of the entrepreneurial mindset. And I loved it. But I never looked at entrepreneurial career um, mindsets as a way of a trajectory toward the rest of my life and of what I was going to do for a living. So I always had this side hustle that led to me selling Pokemon cards in middle school. And I remember I sold a Charizard, which is known as the number one card. <laughs> yeah. like, I should have kept the card. I should have kept the card. <laughs> I should have. But at that moment. I sold it for $50 and I I remember running up to my mom and I told her, mom, you're not going to have to work again. We made it. (laughs) it. We hit the big leagues. (laughs) I love it, man. I love it. That really just lit a fire under my ass because then I was like, wow, this is working. Let's keep doing this. But I still, Jari, never looked at this as a career. I never looked at being an entrepreneur as something I could do for a living. It was always a side hustle while I'm doing my real job. I was always wanting to be a doctor, an eye doctor, an ophthalmologist. So I was pre-med. But this led to after the Pokemon cards, I went into high school and I used to be a bookie for football pools. (laughs) So every week I would type up the matchups. I would print it out. <laughs> on my gateway computer. Yeah, I white, remember those. Yeah, I remember box those. Computer. I would print it out every week and I would take a percentage of the winning jackpot for everyone that, you know, won the best wow. statistically, uh, you know, best statistical results of yeah. who was going to win those matchups. And that led to going to college. And while I'm in college, I started, helped co-found a nightlife promotion company because in the city of Tampa, you need the opportunity to go to nightclubs, bars, etc. And it's not known for as many house parties as it is for the, the nightlife industry. So I figured 
let's get as many people from the colleges to these bars, restaurants, nightclubs. And again, still didn't look at this as a career, even though I'm making way more money, having way more fun, enjoying the process, didn't feel like work, didn't look at it as a career. I was still pre-med studying to be an eye ophthalmologist and eye doctor. And then eventually I start working for the New York Yankees team physician. So I'm in the medical field now. And again, I'm still working on an entrepreneurial side hustle and end up help, helping to co-found a mobile fitness app. And this is back before everyone and their mother had a mobile fitness app. And this was about 2011, 2012, I think. And we ended up becoming finalists on Shark Tank, the TV show. Oh, yeah. ABC. Yeah. I'm a, for I've, season four. Season four was, was Mark Cuban was on. That. Oh, yes. Really? And at that point, I had just been shocked. Again, that it was like selling the Charizard again. I had this light bulb moment where it's like, wait a second. I love doing this. I could make a lot of money doing this. I can make this my career. Why not become an entrepreneur? That's when I had to have that very difficult conversation with my mother, you know, from Jersey and Philly, old school Italian. She's like, who the hell quits the New York Yankees? And what the hell is an entrepreneur? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, are you out of your mind? Like, oh, I, I, I raised you better than that. <laughs> exactly. So I decided, you know, listen, I don't have business experience, even though I'm building these entrepreneurial ventures since I'm like five. And I decided to get my MBA and also my master's of science in marketing because I figured, you know, everyone and their mother is going to start getting their MBA. I need to get two master's degrees at the same time so I could stand out amongst the crowd. And while I was in grad school, I built another company. I noticed in high rises, they have great fitness centers, but no one really uses them. And I figured my hypothesis, my assumption was that they're not using them because no one's motivating them to work out. So I started hiring fitness instructors and yoga instructors to teach classes in the high rise fitness center and the high rise would pay me and I would pay the trainers. And that's what helped pay my way through grad school. Then I started traveling the world and this is how I got to what I'm doing right now. Started traveling the world. I saw a lot of initiatives were donating either food, water, housing, or healthcare. It seemed like everybody was trying to give the man a fish rather than teach him how to fish. And I figured, why not educate people to solve their own problems? Instead, you know, let's start with the earliest age possible and develop the brain. Zero to six is the most imperative time for brain development. So I figured, let's start with early childhood education. When I looked in the education space, everybody that was in the education space was focused on higher ed or secondary school. No one was really focused in early childhood education where the brain, it's the most imperative. This is where you're going to make the largest impact, the highest return on investment. So when I did look into early childhood education, there was two main companies. There was two main categories of companies that were working to solve this problem. One, they were building schools or two, they were building a mobile app. The issue with schools is that there's tons of schools. In fact, when I lived in arguably the worst slum in the world in, in Nigeria, I found that there's tons of schools, but the schools are more like daycare drop-off centers rather than high quality institutions. Sometimes they don't even have a curriculum, little to no resources, teacher attendance is low, parents aren't engaged, 
So sometimes they become four walls with little to no materials rather than a high quality educational institution. So I figured, all right, well, maybe schools are not the, the issue. And then those building a mobile app for those living at the base of the pyramid, sometimes they can't afford the mobile data to keep the mobile app on their phone or they don't even have a smartphone. Yeah, so they can't download the app. It, it, exactly. Like, yeah. Don't even so when have I, the smartphone to download the app. Exactly. Totally cool. Yeah. So Jar, when I saw those two issues, I said, well, what, let's find something they're already doing every day. What are the parents using every day? And they're using text messages. It's the most used communication platform in the world. WhatsApp is a close second. Facebook Messenger is a close third. So I figured let's meet them where they're at and let's use SMS text messages. So that's how we decided to educate children through their parents, through text messages. We send one activity per day to the parent's phone. The parent educates their child using that day's activity. And then we reward the parent for educating their child with Amazon gift cards, mobile data for their phone, pencil cases, school bags, whatever that culture is interested in. That's how we started. We started it in Nigeria. We're in five countries now. Our biggest customer is Nestle. Nestle pays for children to receive the education, but there's three main business models. And I know I'm getting a little granular here, but I'll stop after this. It's businesses, governments, or foundations paying on behalf of a group of children. Number two is a school or daycare center paying for their own children. And the third is a parent paying for their own child. So we have all three, we serve all three, but they're most common and most attractive in that order. Since I could have one conversation with Nestle and educate hundreds of thousands of families versus having to have a conversation with hundreds of thousands of families on my own. So that's how I started Tembo. It's called Tembo. It means elephant in Swahili because elephants are known for being the most compassionate parents in the animal kingdom. And since our education focuses on the parents of the children, we believed it was the best name, best symbol for our social enterprise. So that's how I got to Tembo, the education company, the ed tech company that I'm the CEO of, which led to us getting published in Forbes magazine as the top 30 entrepreneurs under the age of 30. We got a lot of publicity, notoriety, which led to a bunch of people saying, hey, Phil, can you help me with my business? And I said, yeah, sure. So I started helping people with their business and it started consuming a lot of my time. And I said, I, I really love this, but I'm gonna have to start charging people for this to not only have them respect my time, but I also wanted to take it more seriously too, rather than just on the side helping friends. And I came to the conclusion, I really found what I really love doing. And I'm also really good at, I'm, I'm really competent in it. And so that's when I started doubling down on my coaching business. So now I coach other entrepreneurs, mostly CEOs at Harvard and MIT, because I lived in Boston for a while, but I also coach the number one poker player in the world the head of product at Daily Harvest, the, the number one A-pop artist in Dubai, um, the captain of the culinary Olympic team for the US. So I love coaching people that are already at the top 1% of their craft or are aiming to be there. That's my motivational rant for the day. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to be like, Oh, wow. You're like a total underachiever, you know, like, I don't know what to say. Well, it's funny because, you know, we both know Ravi Karani. Um, yes. and, and I know he, I think he was Forbes 30 under 30 or something too, I think yes. for, 
tech or water or something. Great, great guy. Love. That's love. actually how I led. That's what led me to my podcast. I'm like, wait, no one's highlighting the Forbes 30 under 30 list makers. So now I run the only podcast in the world that exclusively interviews those that made the Forbes list. Ravi being one of them. Yeah, no, that's really cool. I mean, you know, you gotta. It's so funny because, um, <laughs> you know, uh, well, according to him, because you know, I, I think. What did he tell me? He said that there's like a like an ecosystem of you guys that kind of help each other out. And so you all kind of know each other, which is really cool to have like a community where you can kind of um, interact and help each other out. And yeah, lo- love that, that you're doing that with the podcast. And it's such a great, it's such a journey. <laughs> I mean, there's so much to unpack here, right? Like, I mean, you've been hustling since five, which is, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like a lot of people are, you know, come to this sort of thing, you know, later in life and are a little afraid of it. And it, it, what was it, do you think that was in your, like in your five-year-old mind or mind or in your like family or community that sort of said, Hey man, I, I you know, I gotta, gotta start doing this entrepreneur thing, which you probably didn't even know what it was called back then. Exactly. I didn't even know what entrepreneur meant. I didn't know that owning a business could even be a career path. I was always taught this, the old adage of work hard, do good in school, get a good job, you know, find a wife, have a house, get a car, raise a family, just following that societal norm, that falsehood or that, that false dogmatic narrative that you're told or society tells you from an early age. And then I read this, it didn't really click until I read this book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. It was recommended to to me by a friend in college. And his whole philosophy was don't work for your money, make your money work for you. And that just blew my mind. I had never even questioned my own thinking. I never had metacognition where I was thinking about my thinking. I was always just, nope, this is what I got to do. Even though I hate my classes, even though I hate what I'm doing, I'm not enjoying the day-to-day lifestyle, working in the medical field. This is not interesting to me. Always loved the human body anatomy and physiology, but I never really believed in this approach of sick care. I rather, you know, align with uh, preventative care. And that's, you know, it speaks to my uh, fitness nature and holistic health nature. But anyway, the point I'm making here is I didn't really have that ideology. I didn't never really looked at this side hustle as an opportunity for a career until I read that book where I started to question my own thinking. I started asking, well, wait a second, is this really what I want to do? And unless you have someone or something like a book or in an environment that forces you to question your own thinking, you could continue on the same trajectory, the same path without, without ever picking your head up and asking, why are you doing this? And it, yeah, even, totally. even as a child, I didn't question it. I, I still didn't look at that as an opportunity. And this is actually a great learning lesson for maybe anyone listening. What are you doing with your free time that no one is telling you what to do with? What, what, are you, what do you find yourself naturally doing and you naturally enjoy without ever having to be told to do it? Because if you look at it, like the lemonade stand I was doing on my own, selling the Pokemon cards, running the football pools in high school, I was just doing this naturally on my own. Like, oh, this is a great idea. Let me do this. I could help people. I could make money myself and help other people make money and bring them joy. Yeah. No, no. I mean, you're right. Like, I think it's so fascinating because- 
you know, like I have my fiance has a daughter and, you know, she's 11 and, you know, she's always trying to kind of figure out how to make money. Right. Cause she wants to be, you know, a lawyer or whatever. But what's funny is that um, she'll make like little cards. So if it's Christmas time, she'll make Christmas cards. If it's Valentine's day, she'll make Valentine's day cards or birthday cards or whatever. And it's all this, I don't know. I mean, she knows I'm an entrepreneur. I don't really know if she really actually knows what an entrepreneur is or what like I do. Cause it seems that I do all these different things. Um, but, but what's interesting is that that's just, she just naturally loves to create and that creation process, like with you or like selling or whatever, like, Oh, this is such, I I'm so motivated to do this. I just want to do it. I mean, she also loves to read. So, uh, we actually, uh, you know, worked on writing a book together. And what, what's really beautiful about that is that the, the, that natural feeling, I mean, you know, of course, like parents and community have to sort of guide young people, but I think you're totally right. Like, oh, this is what you have to do as opposed to, oh no, this is what I want to do. And can I make a living at it? Cause there's also people that get forced to go to college, get all this debt, they do this, I won't call them silly degrees, but I'll call them silly degrees. And then they get out and they're like, oh, I got all this debt. I can't find a job because they weren't guided in not, you know, again, like, okay, if you want to be an artist or musician or whatever, that may be a tougher road, but like, you also got to feed yourself. So I, I think that's missing. And, and, and do you think it was like, was, did your mom encourage you to do this? Was, were there certain like people in your community? Because it's honestly really rare to have like your experience, you know? And that's why I think it's so important for parents to foster their children's creativity and entrepreneurial spirit. They're, they have a natural proclivity and propensity to be curious, to explore, to adventure. And what happens is we keep telling them no, or society tells them, no, you need to follow the rules. Even in school, you're in a box at a desk, told to be quiet. And you have when the bell rings, get up, go to the next class. You're instructed to do everything. So as soon as you have a, any ounce of freedom, you don't know what to do with it by the time you're a college age kid. You're adulting already by the time you're age five in primary school. And what we should be doing is just fostering, like it sounds like you have been doing with your fiance, fostering that natural creativity, that natural energy or urge or fire that they have under them to create, whether it's creating the greetings cards or writing a book together, instead of telling children what they should learn, teaching them what to learn, we should teach them how to learn. How do we get the most out of their brains? It's such a great, that's so important. I actually had a teacher in high school that was the first time anyone ever like said, Oh, okay. I know we have to, I have to teach you this. It was a social, no, it was a social studies teacher, or maybe it was economics. And he was like, well, I have to teach you these things because they're going to test you on it. And if you don't pass the test, I look bad. He literally said this, (laughs) but aside from that, your most important thing I can instill in you is how to learn the love of learning and why it's important to always learn. Right. And I remember this to this day. I'm just like the first time I think I was maybe a sophomore in high school and, and my whole family 
you know, like my dad was an engineer. I went to engineering school. My two brothers did a different track, but you know, I was so somewhat forced into it. But one of the things that was cool is that my dad and I, we would build electronics together. So from an early age, I was like tinkering and taking stuff apart. And so when I got to college in, you know, electrical engineering, the stuff I love the most was let's build a circuit. Let's like take Mm. stuff apart. Let's look at the oscilloscope, you know, the, you know, theories and all the equations. And I think it was the like, the electromagnetic fields and waves, the Gauss equations. I'm just like, I don't care. Like, okay. Yeah, it works. You know, like these, these symbols are just like magic to me. I don't, I, that's actually a great stuff. point. That's another thing is identify what is your child naturally motivated by? What is it about the engineering that really lights them up and use that as leverage to your advantage to get them to learn more and to expand their skill sets? I'll give you an example. My mother, you know, going back to the parents, one thing I think she did really well was she always told me I could do anything I want. So I always believed that I never thought I couldn't do something. So I always did try and fail. And I was fine with that. I never got hurt by failing fast. And she also tried to put me in as many activities as possible from figure skating to football, to piano and golf and etc. And one of the things I remember about piano was I hated learning the classical music like Beethoven, Bach, to me, Mozart, this was just boring. So every time I was going to learn from one of the best, I mean, she was called the piano princess, a famous piano teacher. And I'm taking, I'm taking this for granted, this experience, but I wasn't motivated by that. But at that age, I was motivated by, let's say, picking up a girlfriend. So if they would have said, Hey, listen, the next party you're at with your friends, if you play this let's say Beyonce song or song by Jay-Z or third eyed blind, you're really going to wow the audience. You're going to entertain your friends and guess who's going to want to be your girlfriend. (laughs) If they use that motivation, I would have learned that song in a heartbeat, but you're trying to teach me how to read musical notes, classical music. I wasn't interested in that. So she was using a one size fits all approach to her piano lesson. Same with what we do in, in, traditional schooling where yeah. we're not all the same. We all have different interests. Our brains are wired differently in a sense that we're motivated by different things. So if they would have used that technique, I would have been much more enthralled and engaged in those piano lessons to learn music. Yeah. They didn't identify what was motivating me. And I think, so what, there's three things knowing what I know now, if I could go back and parent myself, There's three things I would do differently that I think dramatically change your life more than any other. And you could do this as a parent or as an adult for yourself. One is the people you surround yourself with. You become the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Speaking of the Forbes community, a rising tide lifts all ships. And you've heard these quotes before, but they really hold true, especially at an early age, because you start to adapt to the behaviors of your peers and, and you adopt their behaviors as well. So whatever they're doing, you're going to do whatever it takes to fit in because your brain's always trying to conserve energy. So you do, you use the least path of resist, the path of least resistance. So who you surround yourself with is really going to motivate you or encourage you to either strive to be the best or be lazy and play video games on the couch. For example, two is the environment you're in. Moving out of Jersey, my hometown, Atlantic City area, 
was arguably the most impactful decision I've ever made because it immediately shocked me. My experiences were different. The people I was surrounded with were different. The content I was consuming was different. It gave me a whole new world of opportunity distinctions to make. Um, And then lastly is the content you consume. So before this book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I had only consumed content that was given to me by a teacher or by a parent. And I was told I have to study this. After reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I became obsessed with self-improvement, with learning for the sake of learning, to better myself. Up until then, I had only read books because I was told to read books. So they were obviously things I wasn't even interested in. Once I read that book, I was like, wow, I'm learning more from this book than I ever learned in the classroom. And so the authors became my mentors and it became my gateway drug, if you will, my gateway book to all other learning and other books. So I started becoming obsessed, started reading a book a week just to ascertain as much knowledge as possible. And now I run this 52 book challenge as a result, because I've been learning so much from the books, from my mentors, if you will, the authors from compared to when I was in the classroom. So content you consume, the environment you're in and the people you surround yourself with. Yeah, no, totally, totally true. I'm, I'm so with you on the whole, like learning music and, consuming books. Um, you know, when I first, when I was a kid, they were trying to teach me music, you know, I I don't memorize things very well. That's just not the way I work. My brain is not wired that way. I I look for patterns and I need to do physically. And if you guys were watching us on the, on the, on the video, like my hands are moving, like I'm Italian and I'm not even Italian (laughs) because for me, it's like tactile. And like, that's how I integrate the world. And I just remember them trying to like, memorize these notes or memorize these scales. And I'm just like, ah, this isn't going to work. And then like, I've, you know, now I'm older and I look at like music as an example. I'm like, oh, well, this is just math. Like, why didn't they just say it's just math? There's patterns. Like tell me it's math and then it's easier for me. So one day I'm going to actually learn an instrument, but I got to find a teacher that just like can explain it like math. Cause then it'd be easier for me. But the, the book perfect. thing is, is so powerful. The other thing I'd also add to that is um, if you do know something, teaching something, writing a book about it, like synthesizing the knowledge, synthesizing, I always call like if you're battling, if you slay the dragon and come back with the gold, you got to share that gold with the world. Um, And I think, you know, kind of what you're trying to do with your coaching business and what you're doing at Tembo, it's, it's, it's so funny because um, you're right. Like, meeting people where they are, understanding their learning skill, uh, you know, the people they're around, the environment they're in, the content they consume. I mean, that's the reason why I don't watch the news because the content's so toxic. It's like, why would I want, you know, my toxic, this toxic stuff polluting my mind? So do you- And you become a reflection of that consumption. One, and, you know, and I think that's the reason why we have so many- challenges in, you know, here in the U S I mean, it doesn't matter, you know, if you're liberal, conservative, black, white, brown, yellow, green, whatever. I mean, we all kind of want the same thing, right? We want to be left alone and we want to prosper. We want our families to be safe. And generally we're all pretty cool about that. Like, I don't think there's a person around that if you didn't like sit down and eat a meal with them, that you couldn't find something that you could connect with. Um, and Heineken and so did a great commercial about this, actually. I don't know yeah. if you've seen it, where they brought yeah. two dichotomous individuals, two very opposite individuals together. 
and let them connect over something they had in common. It's a, just a genius commercial. I would, uh, for anyone listening, YouTube, the Heineken commercial, um, where they bring two separate people together. It's just brilliant how we all have something in common. We're all human beings at the same, uh, in the same token. So that, and this is going back to your point about like solving problems rather than, for example, asking, instead of asking children, who do they want to become? Ask them, what problems do you want to solve? So they have something specific to work toward and they can use their skill sets and their exploration of their adventures to get them to where they want to be. And, and ultimately that leads to building confidence and competence in a specific skill, which leads them to develop a passion for it because you love what you're good at. And that really sets a trajectory for children in a different direction than we currently have in traditional school systems. And it, it's especially important. And Elon Musk taught me this. It's especially important for wealthy educated people to do this, to have the most amount of children with, with the greatest sense of parenting knowledge, because they're really going to determine the future trajectory of society from years on out. And so instead of a lot of wealthy parents, educated parents say, Oh, I want to give my children everything I never had. We should teach them everything we never learned ourselves when we were growing up. And how can we shift that narrative? So that becomes the norm rather than the mm. exception to the rule. No, I mean, that's, that's such a good point because, I mean, you saw this or you see this in history, uh, like Genghis Khan is a great example. So if you don't know who Genghis Khan is out there, look him up. But he was uh, a ruler of basically the Inland Empire of Asia, and he conquered a lots and lots and lots of places. And he would integrate the conquered um, nations. And what I mean by integrate, some of, some he would enslave, but others he would like make equals. And if you're, I think, alive on the planet, most likely you have got some Genghis Khan DNA in you because he had lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of kids. Um, but what was funny was that that whole point about what you said about, oh, I want to give them everything I didn't have. Well, as the Genghis Khan's empire continued to grow, and it became more easy, it was a lot easier for people to conquer them because they didn't learn the lesson of, well, geez, when we were first doing this, we were eating, you know, <laughs> horse blood mixed with cow milk or whatever and living off the plains and the st Asia steppe. And it was just, you know, crazy like time. They, they got soft basically. And 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 what, what I find really fascinating about the kind of the coaches that have evolved into coaching. Cause I think as you get kind of long, longer on in your career, you naturally become a mentor and a coach to the next generation coming up. I'm curious if those three parenting things that you mentioned, people, environment, and content, if that applies to the people that you coach as well, because even if they are like super successful, I, I know we had talked about you, you tend to coach the like, the ones that want to be the top 1% or are already the top 1%. Do these, you think, still, still apply? Absolutely. And that's why I was mentioning this isn't just for parents or children. This is for adults that want to apply this for themselves. You know, be mindful and intentional, conscious about who you're surrounding yourself with. What environment are you immersing yourself in? What content are you consuming on a regular basis? Is it content, people, and an environment that's going to propel you forward toward your goals? 
or is it one that's going to subtract? There's no neutral. They're either adding to your life or they're subtracting from it. And one of the blessings in disguise, I think COVID has really um, created is people, it's forcing people to step back and say, hmm, am I living the life I want to lead? And am I living in the city that I want to live in? Am I with the people that I want to spend time with? Because we're forced to maybe work from home and now you're spending more time around them and you're probably allowed to consume more content as a result. And so one of the beautiful things companies are allowing now is this remote work, which I think is allowing people to say, wait a second, would I live in this city if it wasn't for my job? Maybe I want to move. I want to live in Montana on a ranch, but still have the opportunity to work for an amazing tech firm in New York city or SF, but I want to live on my ranch. And I believe that this will lead to a a happier life because the quality of life is going to change for individuals. They're going to commute less. They're going to have more opportunities to do what they want to do rather than what they have to do. No. Second Uh, motivational rant for the day. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, I like the, I like the, what they want to do as opposed to what they have to do. And, and this is, I'm glad you brought this up because I learned, I learned this one the hard way. Um, and it, it's interesting because, um, you know, as I talk about on the podcast a lot, you know, I, I lost my wife to leukemia, uh, Jane, uh, three and a half years ago, almost four years ago. Um, and when she died, it was one of these interesting moments. I mean, if you've ever lost anyone close to you, there's a lot of grief and sorrow and there's a lot, just a lot of things, but and and you have to deal with that. And I dealt with it in a bad way and had some challenges that I've now overcome. But what, what's, what's really fascinating is that you, you realize that your time is so valuable. It's more valuable than any amount of money that anyone can ever give you. And just the fact that you learn that your most, most valuable resource is time, where you spend your time matters, who you spend your time with matters. And the environment in which you also like spend your time will dictate the quality of your life. And I just remember it it was, was, it's like, it's literally like it was yesterday sitting, you know, sitting in my apartment after she passed away, after she died. And just like realizing like, like the world is so suddenly changed yet it still stays the same. I mean, the sun's going to come up tomorrow. There's most people aren't even going to know that I'm now a widower. I'm going to be walking around the city and like, you know, and of course I was in a daze through the, through the grief, but that where I spend my time and who I spend my time with is now like the most important thing. And even with COVID is it's fascinating because, you know, if, if you're like, Oh, I want to go to a gathering. Let's just say like, okay, so you, you live in Tampa where it's a little more open, right? <laughs> Here in the city in San Francisco, we're a l- little bit more closed off. But now you have to make a choice, right? And the choice used to be, oh, I'm just wasting a little bit of time. I really don't want to go. Now it's like, I could get sick if I go to this thing. Is it worth it? And And while that's a little strange way to think about it, it's actually good. It's like having that, that, I think it's the um, the mindset, the permission to be like, no, no, my time matters. My time matters. So I'm curious with your coaching clients, 
um, how, how is their relationship with time and, and, and what they're doing? Because I mean, if they're like 30 under 30 and they're like one percenters and they're like go-getters, my guess is they're like pretty busy. Um, how do you, how do you integrate that? I mean, how, kind of what, what's that process like? First of all, please accept my condolences. I empathize with you. My, I just lost my father to cancer uh, <sighs> about a year ago. Wow. And um, no one prepares you for something like that. A friend Man. luckily recommended Man. something called the dinnerparty.org, which is yep. a place yep. where people can gather um, yep. and share their grief. Mm-hmm. It's important to be surrounded by loved ones during this time. And it, you're right. It does. When you have lost someone close to you, it forces you to have a different appreciation for time and how you're spending it. And I hope people listening will really do their own due diligence on their own life, their own assessment on, are they where they want to be? And if not, what are they going to do to change it? Cause no one's going to help you. No one's going to do that for you. It's going to come down to you yourself and I. And so exactly. one of the first things I do with my clients is a deep dive assessment in every hour of their day from start to finish from the, as soon as they wake up till they go to sleep, we want to find out how are they spending their time? And almost every time I would say nine out of 10 times, they're shocked by what they thought they were spending their time with versus what they're really spending their time with. And we do this for a whole week because I want to observe their behavior over time. So usually the first quarter with them, three months, is an observation period where I'm understanding them. How well do they command themselves to do what they said they were going to do? How realistic are they? How far off are they? Did they overestimate? Did they underestimate? So I spend a lot of time on weekly calls with them actually to learn as much about them as possible. And we do a deep dive into every area of their life, finance, career and business, relationships, their health, mental and physical. Because at the end of the day, you're made up of all these things, all these components. You're not, you're not a robot siloed into one function. So we have to do a deep dive into all areas of your life and find out which one is the bottleneck, which one is holding you back. Where's the limiting belief that's preventing all other areas from flourishing. Usually what I've found is relationships has had the largest impact. It'll impact your finances, your business and career decisions, your health, mental and physical your relationships are the foundation. And I can tell a lot about someone by who they're spending their time with. You know, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. So for those listening, first step I would take is do an assessment on the content you're consuming most often, the five people you're spending the most time with, or during COVID, maybe listening to the most often, because it could be phone calls. Yeah. Or, or zoom Zoom calls. Exactly. (laughs) Like we're on. And then what's the environment you're in? Where are you spending most of your time physically? Is it a coffee shop? Are the people around you in that coffee shop inspiring you? You know, is your environment propelling you forward toward your goals? Just ask yourself first, observe it. What are they currently? And what would they look like in an ideal world? Do they match up? If not, what changes do you need to make? What additions or subtractions do you need to make? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm sorry. You know, you know, it it sucks losing 
anyone to can cancer is just awful. And, um, you know, not a lot of words you can say about that. It's a, the grief journey is different for everyone. I mean, that's what I've learned. I mean, I'm writing a memoir about my experience with losing or Jane's cancer and then losing her and, or actually having her die because I didn't lose her. She's not here anymore. That's another one I've been learning to deal with. Um, but yeah, I mean, so, I mean, it sounds simple, right? But I think that's where the elegance lies is the simplicity of getting back to basics. You know, like I also read Rich Dad, Poor Dad and a bunch of other, those kind of books, you know, um, think and grow rich and all the ones that are, you know, <laughs> and the lexicon of, uh, of self-help and improvement. Um, and it all kind of boiled down to these really simple tenets that were not anything that was, you know, you know, Herculean effort to do. It was like, Oh, you know, like get your shit done <laughs> or, you know, like I read another one was like, well, first thing you should do is make your bed. You're like, what? Like what? You know, it's like, well, like you've done something, you know, or work out in the morning, you know, which and there's is science behind it. There's uh, dopamine spikes yeah. increase. And that ultimately leads to motivation to get your next task done. So it right. creates this momentum. And that's the funny thing about all these books, all these self-improvement books and people, Robert Kiyosaki, Napoleon Hill, Tony Robbins, we're all saying the same thing. <laughs> so you think that somebody would figure out like, oh, wait, maybe they're <laughs> onto something here. And that's the funny thing about success. It's all these little things that everyone knows they should be doing, but exactly. no one's actually doing them. <laughs> exactly. No, no, you're right. No, you're, you're, you know, it's, it's so funny because um, there's, there's motivation. So motivation is a big one, but the thing that I found that's, that's the best indicator of success is discipline. And discipline is a, is a kind of a tough thing because it's literally like doing something you don't want to do because you should when you don't want to do it. Oh, I mean, I paraphrase sort of that, but I always found that the more disciplined I am, it leads to kind of more success. I mean, even doing this podcast, I started this podcast at the beginning of the pandemic back in uh, March of 2020. And it was tough at the beginning, right? I mean, you have your own podcast, you know, like getting guests and editing and just like, oh, this is, this is crazy. Um, but the discipline to kind of like, okay, every week I'm going to put out a pod, I'm going to work on something that I'm, I'm actually a kind of bad at. And that's talking to people. I mean, it may not sound that way, but I have a hard time, you know, networking and talking and I, you know, listening, I, I got to practice this. So what better way <laughs> to talk to cool people like you on a podcast, right? But the discipline to do that, you know, most podcasts, they have what, four or five episodes then go away or the people get busy or, you know, they put all these barriers in their way. I mean, one thing, you know, when I go on other people's shows, they always want to have like this pre-meeting and like, these are the questions I'm going to ask. And I'm just like, can't we just talk? Like, is it really that complicated? Like, listen to my show. I can, I can put two sentences together. Right. Um, so other than, you know, the, the basics with your clients, I mean, what's the, are there any, any, any other things that you would kind of recommend? I mean, especially from your experience with the, with education and the coaching, I mean, you've got 
pretty eclectic career. I thought I had an eclectic career. <laughs> Yours is more eclectic than mine, but how, how has the education, the coaching, like any kind of like nuggets, any more nuggets that you may want to share? Definitely how you start your day and end your day is really important. So the bookends of the, of the day really help solidify the foundation for all the other habits. So these are called keystone habits. Keystone habits are the habits you find when you do those one or two things lead to a snowball effect of all these other great habits or all these other bad habits. And I'll give you an example for me. And you could do this. This is a great exercise actually to do for your start of your day and the the second half of your day. So the first half of your day, the second half of your day, ask yourself, what are the one or two or three habits you do in the start of your day that really lead you down one trajectory? And if you don't do them, they lead you down a horrible trajectory. And for the second half of the day, what are some things that you do? What are some keystone habits? So one or two or three things you do that lead you down a great trajectory if you do it or a bad trajectory if you don't do it. And I'll give you an example for myself. For the second half of my day, I found out one simple thing changes the entire rest of my day. And it's whether or not I change into my gym clothes. When the end of my meetings happen for the day, if I change into my gym clothes, I end up going to the gym. I go into a sauna. So I give myself the heat exposure for cellular regeneration. I read my book books for my weekly books more often because I go in the sauna. I actually read it there. I go into a hot tub. I read it there. I end up working out. So I'm improving my cardiovascular health, my endurance, my mood goes up, serotonin, dopamines, all released. My cortisol levels drop, which leads to me and my girlfriend having a better experience together. So we're happier. We have more fun and we're not going to argue, let's say, for example, and I end up becoming more productive. So I end up using my journal more often. So I plan the next day that night. I eat healthier food that night. Look at all these little things. There's about 20 to 30 habits that happen from just one thing, whether or not I change into my gym clothes right after my meetings finished at the end of the day. Now, if I don't change into my gym clothes, you know what happens? I don't end up going to the gym. Mm -hmm. I end up sitting on the couch putting on a movie or a show with my girlfriend, we end up ordering out. So we eat unhealthy food uh, or more unhealthy than we would have had if we worked out because you just feel differently about what you're going to eat. I might end up not reading, not doing my journal to prepare. I go to sleep later because now I'm exposed to the blue light. I do have blue, blue light blockers, but I'm ex- I stay up later. So it throws off my next day as well. And it's like all these, and, and I end up scrolling on social media more. I consume more content rather than create content, which leads to me maybe arguing online with someone or arguing with my girlfriend. Even it's like all these bad things happen from just one simple habit. These are called keystone habits. So this is a little nugget for your audience identify what is the one, two, or three keystone habits for the first half of your day that impact the trajectory. It could be your morning routine, whether or not you meditate, whether or not you eat breakfast, what time you wake up, and what's the keystone habits for your second half of the day. If you can change those, and by change those, I mean prime your environment to make them as easy to do as possible, 
and the bad ones as hard to do as possible. So that might mean laying out your gym clothes, packing your gym bag, laying out the shoes right away. Give yourself punishments and rewards as well. So you force yourself into performing better. So self-discipline is willy nilly. (laughs) Willpower is a finite resource. It is not infinite. And there's a great book about this that I recommend more often than any other book. It's probably the, the book I gift more often than any other book. It's called The One Thing by Gary Keller, the founder of Keller Williams Real Estate, the largest real estate company in the world. And it's all about cognitive bandwidth. Every human starts out with X number of cognitive bandwidth per day. Every single decision you make depletes that cognitive bandwidth. So by the end of the day, this is why you're mentally exhausted. You, the last thing you want to do is make more decisions. So how do you prevent yourself from having to use willpower and self-discipline? You make it easy. Your brain is built to conserve energy. It's going to take the path of least resistance. So make the good habits easy, prime your environment to do that, and make the bad habits hard. Keep your phone in another room so it's harder to pick up that phone and scroll on social media to be distracted by text messages. And you only let yourself have it by lunchtime. So at least you got your first morning of activities done before you were allowing yourself that dopamine hit of the, of the cell phone. Yeah, that's a great one. And uh, I think a great place to end. So Phil, it's just been such a great conversation. Um, I'm so glad Ravi hooked us up. This is just, I just, I love it. I love hearing people's journeys and also really appreciate all the advice you've given people. I mean, it's, these keystone habits are so, so important. So I'm glad you shared that. And uh, thank you, Jari. And I'll even leave you an extra bonus nugget for those that want to start their day off on fire. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I learned this from a neuroscientist. So out of food, water, and breathing, which is typically what people start their day with or caffeine intake, what do you think you can last the longest without food, water, or breathing? You can last the longest without food. And then what's the second longest? Water. And then breathing, right? Right. right. If you don't, if you go without a few minutes of breathing, you're going to have permanent brain damage. You're so gone, what do you yeah. think is the, the absolute most important to get into the body and brain as soon as you wake up? Your breath. So a breathing practice. So t- I use uh, 10 power breaths on a mm. one, four, two ratio, but it, you don't have to do this, but inhale for five seconds, hold for 20, exhale for 10. Mm-hmm. I do that 10 times while I'm doing cat cows. I learned this from a neuroscientist, the cat cow yoga pose where mm-hmm. you round your back, arch your back, round your back, arch your back. I do that 10 times. What it does is send the cerebral spinal fluid through the brain, through the spinal cord. So you're lighting up the brain, the neurons start firing because when you're sleeping, what happens, your cells shrivel up. So mm-hmm. it loses the cellular membrane intact. So mm-hmm. it actually shrivels up. So what you want to do is get breath and water in as soon as possible. So breath first, then water. I do 20 ounces. And then you can start thinking about caffeine consumption if you really must, or food consumption. Caffeine's a diuretic, by the way. So it's dehydrating you, leading to more shriveled up cells. You want those cells fully robust and round. So they're moving around your tissue as fast as possible. Your blood, your oxygen, the water, muscle tissue, brain tissue, et cetera. And then I immediately go outside 
and get exposure to sunlight. Your eyes are the most vascular part of your body. So you want sun, vitamin D right into the eye. It sets your circadian rhythm, resets your chronotype. So it helps get energy to the body, right? Vitamin D. Yeah. And then I'll stretch. I do my meditation, 20 minutes, transcendental meditation. And then I do, this is the last thing. I jump on a trampoline, which is called a rebounder. (laughs) Cool. I know it sounds crazy, but this is what Tony Robbins does before he goes on stage every time. It lymphocytes the body. So it shocks the lymphatic system, getting toxins out of your body. And what it's been found to do is cause something called autolysis, Hmm. where old dead and damaged cells are replaced with new cells. So it spikes the cellular regeneration. And all it is is jumping on a mini trampoline and you're lymphocyzing the body because you're getting two times the force of gravity on the body as you're jumping. So there you have it. There's a little bonus nugget (laughs) for how you want to start your day. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I'm reading this book called Breath by James Nestor. There you go. Which everyone needs to read this book. It is amazing what he's done. I mean, it's the equivalent of, uh, you know, Michael Pollan's how to change your mind if you're into that sort of stuff, but it's of course not psychedelics. It's about breathing and why we breathe wrong. Like if, if you don't breathe a certain way, it leads to all sorts of health problems. And I'm just, my friend, uh, Christina gave me this book and, I'm just blown away because I suffer from sleep apnea and that's a whole other story, but it's like, wow, I need to learn how to breathe again, which you never like would think, but there's a lot of people that don't know that you're only supposed to breathe in through your nose. Correct. So the reason you have nose hairs is to filter the air before it gets into your lungs. Mm -hmm. And there's Mm -hmm. a second reason there's something called nasal conchi, which Mm -hmm. are shaped like a conch shell. They're little tiny bones inside of your nose that send your air through like a turbine and it warms the air before it gets into your lungs. These two are so important. I mean, I can't tell you how many people I've seen breathing through their mouth. Yeah. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. I've, even hear, I've even heard yoga teachers tell people to breathe in through their mouth. Yeah, and there's no. a reason why we breathe. Our, the human body was designed very effectively. You don't yeah. have to change much. Yeah, it's no, we don't. Figured out. No, we don't. We've totally <laughs> figured it. And well, yeah, like in this breath book, it's just so powerful because one of the other things that if you breathe through your mouth and not your nose, what happens is, is your face shrinks. And when your face shrinks, your teeth get crooked, your tongue gets cramped out. And part of the problem with sleep apnea, one is your tongue collapses on your air pipe when you snore. I mean, that which makes you snore. And then you gasp for air. Part of that is the muscles in the tongue as you get older, it relaxes and you got to exercise them. But the other part is that if everything's constricted, it's going to be harder to get air in, right? So the, the process of breathing through your nose, belly breathing, as opposed to chest breathing. I mean, I, I should know this stuff. I'm almost 50 yet. I don't know this stuff. <laughs> well, these are the things we should be teaching in school. A hundred, a hundred percent all like mindfulness and meditation. And like, just, it's mm-hmm. so critical so because once you've, like you said, if you've got that ritual, you having the good habits, you have keystone habits, that projects your day. Like if your day is better, everything is better. And of course, sometimes you don't get to it. Okay, great. And sometimes you need help. You know, you need certain, like sometimes it's the, the way it is. Balance, yeah. Right. Breathe but, better humans breathe better. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and, and I'll definitely put a link in the show notes and, and also the, the, the stuff that you talked about, but 
I mean, Thanks, it, it's totally changing my life as well. And again, I appreciate your time, man. Stay safe. Thank you and, so uh, much for having me on. And I'm excited to reconnect the next time we get to see each other in person. If you're ever in Tampa, you know who to call. 100%. I'll be there. Thanks again. All right, Jari. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better, as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur and, frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.